0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, What do the following people or things have in common? We have Edward Teach, the neighborhood of Manhattan bounded by West Street, Broadway, Chambers Street and Canal Street. Anti-Cyclone Hartmut and the United Kingdom invocation of Article 50 of the Treaty on European Union. So have a think about those four things. As we read this morning's passage. If you've got your Bibles ready then we're jumping back into our teaching series on Acts and I'll be preaching on Acts chapter 11 verses 19 to 30 and also uh, chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch speaking the message to no one except Jews but there were some of them Cypriot and Cyrenian men who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. We now go to chapter 13. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manaen, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So, did anyone get the link? Apart from Ken, maybe? The link is that all four of those people or things are actually better known by their nicknames. So, Edward Teach was better known as Blackbeard. The area of Manhattan is better known as Tribeca, or the triangle below Canal Street. Anticyclone Hartmut was the cold snap in 2018 in the UK that we know as the beast from the East. And love it or loathe it, the last one is Brexit. So today we're going to look at the importance of one particular nickname that's brought to our attention in this passage. Uh, but first, a bit of context. I must confess, when I was preparing uh, for this, reading this section of Acts, it seemed kind of dreary or or ho-hum. We've just had some explosive sections of early church history in the preceding chapters. We've got Pentecost, healings, jailbreaks, we have the radical conversion of Saul, we've got raising of the dead, and we have the first martyr as Stephen is stoned to death. And then after this passage, we have More martyrdom, more jailbreaks, more raising from the dead. We've got Paul's history-defining missional trips. And then we can throw in a couple of shipwrecks and a riot for good measure. Yet, chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, seems a bit absent from all this drama. It feels a bit like it's saying, well, this person came here and then they went there and they went here and it was a bit rainy on Tuesday but we know that Acts covers 30 years of, or approximately 30 years of church history. So it's in there for a reason and it is beneficial to us. We learn as we read that Christ's followers were scattered as a result of the persecution that started with that stoning of Stephen. In fear of their livelihoods and perhaps their lives, They fled Jerusalem and made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But when Barnabas gets there, he didn't see a terrified group of people waiting for clear direction. We read that he saw the grace of God and we're told that many people were added to the Lord. We see that despite the chaos and the scattering and the ravaging of the church, God was still in control. He wasn't surprised by any of these events, and we should take heart from that. COVID-19 has not taken God by surprise. Instead, when it comes to this persecution, God used it. He used it to establish a church that would be key to spreading the gospel throughout the world. In fact, we as Freedom Church are effectively the beneficiaries of God using this process of scattering the believers to form Antioch. From which Paul went on his missional trips. In verses 25 to 26, we're told that Barnabas goes and collects Paul, although he's still referred to as Saul here, and they teach for a year. And then we have at the end of 26, this seemingly offhand comment the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We're so familiar with the term Christian that we kind of can look past that quite quickly as a sort of throwaway comment but this is the first time that a group of believers are referred to as christian up until then they've referred to themselves as brothers or disciples or even followers of the way christians translates as little christs or christ people and this was most likely used by the non-believers of antioch as a mocking term of their church However, this nickname sticks and it is used widely by both the non believers and the believers alike. The believers, the Christians in Antioch, take this nickname and they own it like a badge of honour. So much that it later becomes a form of legal accusation you, sir, are a Christian. To the degree that Peter wrote in his uh, first letter, Chapter four, verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God having that name. See, It was a name that stuck. And the reason I believe is that despite it being meant in jest or for for mocking, it was so apt. Like the examples I gave at the start, the nickname actually gives more information, more quicker than the original name. Little Christ conveys much more about what it is to be a Christian than, say, followers of the way. So they took this title on because they wanted to be little Christs. And we at Freedom Church, as Christians, should want to be considered like little Christs, don't we? We want to own that as a badge of honour. So I'd like to draw out three points as to what made these guys in Antioch Christ-like. Why were they called... Little Christs. So the first one is they listened to and were led by the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, we hear that they responded to a prophetic warning about a famine coming and they gave generously to their brothers in Judea. And later in chapter 13, verse 2, they were led by the Holy Spirit to send Barnabas and Saul out on mission. Now, as a side note, we talked before about God using the scattering, but He also used the Sending as well. We have this chaotic scattering and the purposeful sending. God was behind both processes and both processes resulted in the spread of the gospel throughout the world. But the sending only happened because the believers in Antioch were obedient to the Holy Spirit. They were obedient to the point where they gave up, probably their best leaders. Certainly in Paul, they're giving up their best preacher. Now, we have also been scattered or sent, albeit now in a locked-down format. We've been scattered as far as Wavertree and Gattaca and Allerton and Egberth, or in my context, the ends of the earth in Garston. We also have the same Holy Spirit who is just as vocal and leading as he was to the people in Antioch. We should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Who does He want you to reach out to? Who does He want you to pray for? Is He asking you at this time to give anything up or take anything on? Let's make sure that we are listening to Him as He speaks and guides us. So they were led by the Holy Spirit. Point number two, they were devoted to the scriptures. In verse 26, we hear that they were taught for a year by none other than Saul of Tarsus. Such was their commitment to meeting together and to hearing the teaching of the apostles. That they were willing to accept Saul as a teacher. This is Saul. He's the person who spearheaded the persecution of the church. For many of them, he was the reason why they had left Jerusalem in the first place to come to Antioch. We read about in Acts chapter 8 that... He was pleased when Stephen was stoned and that he ravaged the church, throwing men and women into jail. So it would be understandable if some of the people in Antioch may have had some emotional baggage when it came to Saul of Tarsus, but such was their commitment to the teaching of the apostles that they committed to and learnt from Saul's teaching and the the goodness of God's truth that he was teaching, that they listened to him for a year's worth of teaching. What teaching are we dedicated to? Uh, A small story of uh, illustration, I can remember when I was uh, chatting to my uh, old university flatmate Ziad and we were talking about what was the biggest telling off you'd ever had and he said that he could still vividly remember and almost still feel the marks on his chest where his dad had made each point of rebuke on his chest to say never do that again. So what had he done? Well their family had a pet of an African grey parrot. Now these parrots can mimic sounds to, to effectively learn words and if you excuse the pun parrot them back to you. And his dad had caught my flatmate Ziad with his face level with the parrot, and he was just teaching it by saying again and again and again, just some vile swear words. Now the parrot knew other words, had a quite a big vocabulary, but such was the repetitive and frequent nature that my flatmate would say these words, that they ended up with a parrot that could make a sailor blush. Now, we have a clear advantage over parrots in terms of uh, a greater ability to reason and to process so that we wouldn't just parrot things back. However, we can't kid ourselves that we're completely immune to a repetitive message forming our worldview. Now, if I spend more time reading my news feed, which is full of fear... And hopelessness regarding COVID-19, or if I spend more time trying to distract myself by watching another three seasons of X on, on Netflix, if I spend more time doing those things than reading God's word or meeting online with my church family who can encourage me and can tell me about what they've been learning that God has said to them, if I spend more time doing those other things than that, and I can't be surprised when I start to have the world's viewpoint evading my thoughts, that fear, that hopelessness. I start to buy into that truth. So, my second thing is to, for us as application, is to decide who do you want to be speaking truth into your life? What habits can you put in place or drop, maybe? That ensures that we're feeding ourselves with good teaching of God's truth commit to meeting together again online but commit to not making the midweek group the first thing that gets dropped in a busy week there's nothing wrong with relaxation there's nothing wrong with unwinding to Netflix this isn't meant to be a guilt trip but when we read what happened here this was the church that was responsible for sending Paul out spread of the gospel Look what can happen when a group of believers dedicate themselves in that way. So they were dedicated to the word of God. Lastly, we get to this point. They preached the good news. So hopefully on your screens, we'll bring up verse 19 again. It says, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This wasn't a well-planned mission trip. They'd scattered as a result of persecution, and yet they told the good news to the Jews And before long they were speaking it to non-Jews, the Hellenists, the the Greek-speaking Gentiles, effectively non-Jews like myself and and many of you. It's as if they just couldn't help it. They had to tell people of the good news that Jesus had done. And we know they talk so much about this Jesus, this Christ, because they get the nickname Christians. Until until then, they were largely viewed as a as a Jewish sect or an add-on to the Jewish faith. But now we have a distinction. These aren't Jews. They're Christians. They're little Christs. Why? Because they talk about Christ all the time. The general populace of Antioch likely didn't know nor care about the diversity of the leadership team or their generosity or their obedience to the Holy Spirit. And they certainly wouldn't have cared much about uh, Paul teaching them for a year in their dedication to the apostles' teaching one thing they were clearly aware of was that these guys were talking about christ so much that they gave them that nickname christian we have been scattered or sent as i've said so the immediate application for us today is to tell of the good news and as i was preparing this i thought what's stopping us and one thing might be do we know what we have is actually good news now, I know we, we know it, but do we know it? Do we know it deep down? Do we have it bubbling up that we can't but tell it to people like these guys in Antioch? Do we know that it's good news? It is good news. So as a way of application, I think we should tell ourselves, tell each other and then tell someone else. Remind yourself that it's good news. If you're not a Christian, then please reach out either via the email address that's been put there or one of your friends or families who's a Christian. Find out what this good news is. If you're a new Christian, you've got that excitement that we've all had. Make sure you treasure that and kindle that. If you're a Christian of a few years, then treasure it like a child treasures the 800th telling of Oi Frog, like a favourite book. You should really kindle that that love, that passion you have for the familiar tale. This is good news. We should remind ourselves that it's good. Our news feeds at the moment are overwhelmed with bad news. As I said with Covid-19, it is with fear and hopelessness. But even before Covid-19, there's a false gospel that's present. It's on the telly, it's on social media, it's endorsed by celebrities. Our friends, colleagues, families might know of nothing else. The overwhelming narrative of our generation is that you should do what's on your heart, what you feel like. But we know if you follow Jesus that that's precisely one of the problems he came to overcome. That actually what's on my heart and what I feel like doing isn't necessarily always good or kind and it nearly is always never life-giving but there's a solution and it's good news. Jesus came and he died for us he rose again and he's now seated on high he accomplished all that was promised all that he promised he would do as well as what people promised when they were writing hundreds of years before he was born he accomplished all that he said he would do one of which as we celebrated last sunday was that he would die in our place taking on our sin and shame but on easter day he would rise again alive that he's accomplished what he said he would do means that his is the final word his resurrection has sealed the deal he has the ultimate answer to death and to suffering COVID-19 does not have the final say. Jesus does. It means that if we put our faith in him, there's eternal life. Life where there's no pain or suffering, where everything is as it should be. And there is just deep, deep joy to be had. It means that he sees every injustice, every wrong that has been done to you, every abuse of power, every hurt that has been done in the open and in secret. And we know that there is ultimately a just judge who will one day judge all people. But that's the future. What about now? It means that you are known. It means that you can love and be loved, but not in a cheap imitation. that's dependent on your emotions or, or my emotions or someone else's, but in a real and fulfilling way by someone who has never broken a promise, never will, and has promised to be with you and be there for you always. Your hope is in something secure. Your salvation isn't dependent on your finances, how the stock market's doing, your beauty, your health, your family, your intellect, your influence, your legacy. It's dependent on Jesus and what he has done. It means that there's always a comforter to be found in every trial and every hardship. Someone who's experienced the highs and the lows of the human emotional experience of abandonment, loss, betrayal, and pain. He's experienced them all and will be with you through them all. He's rescued you into a family, a family that's just as messed up as you and me, but just as saved and just as valued as you. It means that your identity can be found not in your emotional state at the time, nor what society is telling you your identity should or shouldn't be. Nor is your identity rooted in your sexual fulfillment or whether you're married or whether you have kids or a job or whether you're popular, but it is rooted in someone. It's rooted in someone eternal. You've been given a family name. Your identity is a child of God. It's rooted in someone who knows everything about you, the real you, not the Facebook or Instagram you, but the, I've just shouted at the kids you, the, I can't believe I've done that. I'm so messed up you. He knows everything about you, and loves you anyway. He's proven his love by dying for you. He has shown you that to him you have infinite value. You have dignity regardless of what you've done and regardless of what's been done to you. He knows all that you've done. Every nasty thought, every deed done in secret, every gossip, every slander, every mean thought, every website you've ever looked at, every lie you've ever told. But he's paid the price. He welcomes you, regardless of age, gender, background, skill set or status. He was and is the perfect model of true love, true wisdom and true power. He has done it all and he has done it for all. It is good news. So tell yourself the good news. Tell each other, commit to telling each other the good news and then tell someone who doesn't know it is good news and it is worthy of telling. So as a closing question, how are you going to wear that title, that name of Christian as a badge of honour? In what ways can you ensure that you're listening to and obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit? In what ways are you going to dedicate yourself to the apostles' teaching, to God's truth in your life? Finally, in what ways are you going to Tell yourself, tell each other and tell someone else the good news that Jesus is risen. Church, I can't wait to meet with you again, not online. Thanks.